Publix is a great partner. They've been just amazing to work with. And what we've been focusing on since the launch is, is the data analytics, like under, using all this data and the incremental data that we're getting now from the incremental volume to understand our customer. We are obviously looking to expand into more retailers, trying to get closer to our customers. Welcome to the Startup CPG podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Freitag. If you saw Encanto, which even if you haven't, you've probably heard the song, We Don't Talk About Bruno, you may remember the arepitas that can cure anything. Lucky for us, Toast It is bringing delicious arepas to a store near you. And after trying, I think they also might be magical. Behind that magic though, is the hard work, vision, and story of co-founders and sisters, Mafe and Coco, who wanted to bring the arepas from their childhood to the US. Listen in as Coco and Mafe share about pivoting from big corporate careers to entrepreneurship, launching Toast It online, building their brand, getting on shelves at big retailers like Publix, and what's next in bringing their delicious arepas to more consumers. Hi, Mafe and Coco. Welcome to the show today. So excited to have you both here and talk all things Toasted. How are each of you today? We're amazing. We're so excited to join uh, your show. And we also want to hear from you what you thought about the Arepas. Uh, we've been dying to hear. Thank you so much for welcoming us. Hi, Jesse. Coco here. Thank you so much for having us. Awesome. Yeah, I'm so excited. I Loved getting my toasted package in the mail. Immediately, I stopped everything, turned on the oven, went and, you know, sprinkled some cheese on top and some chicken that I had and made myself a little snack and it was delicious or topping with avocado or like they're so versatile and they're gluten free and we're a gluten free household. And so, yeah, I'm obsessed. I've got I've been like savoring them, saving them in the freezer to be like, okay, what can I experiment with next? So it's so it's such an honor to to get to hear more about it. And so, you know, on that note, I'd love to for each of you just just kind of introduce yourself and then also tell us a little bit about Toast It before we dive super deep. Of course. Well, first of all, I'm glad to hear that you like the arepas and what you just described is like my day-to-day lunch. Um, but let me introduce a little bit about what Toasted is and who we are. My name is Mafin. My sister Coco is also uh, on the call. We're both uh, sisters. We're born and raised in Caracas, Venezuela. And we've been living in the States for seven years. And we co-founded this company to bring to the States the first convenient and ready-to-toast arepa um, made with incredible ingredients that are that are good for you. Hi, Jesse. Hi, everyone. I'm Coco. I'm the younger sister. Um, and uh, all I wanted to add is that we're very excited to bring a lot of our culture. We grew up eating arepas uh, back home, and it was such a part of our, our daily life. Uh, which is something that we lost a little bit when we came to the U.S. And that's how a little bit how we came up with the idea of Toasted. Awesome. That's great. Yeah. And speaking of that, I'd love to hear a little bit more about what what it looked like to to start an Arepa company and, you know, decide to work together. Can you tell me a little bit about the the origins and, you know, coming to the U.S. and being like, OK, we're going to now we're going to start a company together? Yeah. So like I said, we, we moved here about seven, eight years ago. So it's seven for me and eight for my sister. And we both started our corporate lives in, you know, corporate America, having very hectic lives. And we started noticing how the 
We were just not eating arepas as frequently as we did back home. And also how other Venezuelans, Colombians, Equatorians around us had the same issue just because they couldn't find anything in the market that had that authentic taste of something that, you know, tasted as something that you would make at home, um, but was also convenient and could save you time in the kitchen. And just to give you a little bit more context, making arepas from scratch is a process that could take up to 30 minutes. So that's how we started thinking about the idea and how could we disrupt the market and, you know, get these communities of uh, South Americans in the States thinking differently about arepas. Like, how can we reincorporate the staple into our lives in a convenient way that's going to save me time in the kitchen without losing this amazing tradition. So we basically started developing the idea. I was working full time um, in my corporate job. And, you know, we just started, I, I started basically doing this as a side hustle and my sister went in full steam ahead. We basically started growing quickly. And last year I, I decided to quit my full time job and join Toasted full time. But that's how it all started. Wow. I think we haven't answered a very important question. Uh, I, I guess many of your users don't know what an arepa is. So a good way to describe an arepa, for those of you that don't know it, it's uh, something that happens when a bagel and a tortilla have a baby. Uh, <laughs> so it's basically very, it's a cornmeal patty that it's very common in South America. It's golden in color, soft on the inside, crispy on the outside, and you can eat it basically all day long as a toast or as a sandwich. Yes, perfect. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I was. we're lucky to have a restaurant in Portland that's Venezuelan, and we went because we're gluten-free. They advertise us like everything here is gluten-free, and so we went and checked it out even though we hadn't had the food before and they make delicious arepas. And so that was my like intro. And then so, um, you know, and then seeing that I can have them at home and just pull them out of the freezer and make them fresh is is a beautiful thing. We're so happy to hear that. That's exactly that's exactly what we're trying to, you know, achieve with bringing this to the market. And what did you each do in the, you know, in the corporate role? What kind of work were you doing? So in my case, I um, I actually came to the U.S. straight to school. I went to school here in Miami. And after I graduated, I went into work with Citibank as an analyst. And um, a little bit of what I did was focused on consumer insights and analytics. And after a year with Citibank, I decided to go back to school to focus on that, which is something that I was enjoying very much, which is data science and analytics. So I did my master's in information and data science with UC Berkeley. And when I graduated, uh, as I was in the process of getting my residence here in the US, that's when I came up with the idea and I got my sister on board. Awesome. How about you, Mafe? What was your career career and before you jumped into Toast It full time? So my career has always been within the CPG industry. I, I first started out working uh, for a pharmaceutical company, a large one. Um, and then in the States, I was also uh, hired by PepsiCo to um, lead financial planning for one of their latest product innovations. Um, and that was an amazing experience for me. I, I very much, I think CPG and, and food in particular is a passion of mine. So that's what I was doing before, mainly within finance and revenue management. Wow. Yeah. So you both bring a lot of big company analysis and CPG experience to to this, which is super cool. That's really interesting. And I'm wondering about so did 
you grow up eating like arepas daily was a really part uh, just really part of life really integrated very much i mean i i could i can speak to I think a lot of Venezuelans and, and Colombians in the sense that arepa is a, a staple that we eat almost daily back home. Um, it's one of the, you know, the, the corn flour that we use to make arepas is one of the products that sell the most in the market back home. But moving into the States and you know how hectic uh, life can be here, we see that it's a it's a costume that it's getting lost with us with us immigrating here as, as well as some other people. So, so many other people that have come to live here. Yeah. Wow. And Coco, for you deciding to, you know, jumping into this first, what did it look like? Were you experimenting at home? And because it's one thing to ha- make a product at home that you really love, but then to package it for something that's going to end up on a grocery store shelf. Was it something that you were working on at home? Was it something you worked on together? What did it take to take a, the recipe from home and then turn it into something that could go on a shelf? So that's a fun story. We started um, like just experimenting at home with ingredients and like trying to get to the best recipe. And I remember when we actually decided to launch, um, we said, okay, so let's start. We, we, we launched from our home kitchen, literally. We bought a KitchenAid, some ingredients, some kitchen utensils on Amazon. And I remember we spent like two days cooking and packing everything. And we said, well, I'm, I'm sure this is going to last for at least two to three weeks. And then when we launched online, that ran out completely. We sold out within a, a couple of hours. And then so I went back to the kitchen my, as my sister started fulfilling orders. And that was literally a li- our lives for four to five months until we decided it was time to move to a commercial kitchen. Oh, wow. How did you generate, you know, to sell out right away? Did you did you tell people about this in advance? Was it people you knew? Had you built up some marketing that this was coming? So just to, obviously we were cooking at home. So this is not a large f- production that like the ones that we're doing right now. But at the same time, we what we did was focus a lot on working on our social media, building a lot of excitement around the product before launching. And when we first launched online, obviously a lot of people we knew were interested in trying and some people that we didn't know started placing orders, which was very excited. Yeah, there's nothing like someone that you don't know placing an order yeah. and being like, oh my goodness, <laughs> someone else, someone that I don't know found me and is, is trying something. That's that's so cool. Definitely. And I would also like to add that from the beginning, we understood that this was kind of like disrupting how people thought about Arepas. And we understood that this was something that was going to require branding and marketing behind it. Um, And so we actually invested much of what we invested in the beginning was towards our packaging and our branding because we knew this was something that needed to be, you know, a while. It had to have a wow factor and something that was going to appeal to people to just like turn their heads at what we were doing. So like my sister said, we invested a lot of time to towards building our social media ahead of our launch and just try to create some buzz um, to th- for before the time that we launched, basically. Right. Yeah. Your social media feed is beautiful and like so fun. I have so been enjoying 
following the Toasted account, we'll definitely make sure that that link is in the show notes for people because I just think you have an amazing count. I also love how you've utilized the everyone loving the Encanto movie as well to to help people understand what arepas are. Can you talk a little bit about how, you know, some of those strategies? Yeah. So for us, it was always such an honor to see our culture portrayed in in a Disney movie. And, and it was also a surprise. Of course, we, we couldn't have timed our launch and us bringing this product to the market with when Disney decided to, you know, release this movie. But first of all, it's it was a huge honor to see our culture. Colombian culture is very similar to Venezuelan culture. At some point in time, we were actually one big country, which was called La Gran Colombia. And so we could see so much of our culture portrayed in this beautiful film. And we're so honored. But in addition to that, we were also very lucky in the sense that arepas are repeated constantly throughout the movie um, and mentioned constantly throughout the movie. And so there was a big spike in, in Google search in the word uh, for the word arepas for when the movie was released. And, and of course, that had an impact in our sales, um, which we were lucky enough to uh, capitalize on. And so we, we decided to also um, bring that into our marketing strategy as far as, you know, it, it's also a little bit difficult to educate people that are not Venezuelan and Colombian. Um, in the sense of this is what arepas are and these are their benefits. We're, we're sort of picking back and cap- capitalizing on this movie, explaining everyone what arepas are. So that's that's basically how we integrated it uh, within our marketing strategy. That's super smart. Yeah. Using, using what's in the news and what's top of people's mind to help educate people because you're right, when you're bringing something new that people maybe haven't heard of, but they're going to love once they try, but you have to get them to, to actually try and also see how they they're going to use it in their life, which your social media also does a really good job of, of showing here's the versatility of arepas, like here's how you can use them. And you can really tell that you put a lot of thought and effort into that. So when you when you mentioned, you know, kind of spending some initial focus on the marketing and branding, did you find like a freelancer or an agency person, someone to help you think about it? Did you use your own, you know, own creative skills toward it? I'm curious what that looked like to develop the amazing branding. Yeah, so I think um, it was a mix of both. Um, I think from the start, we we wanted to be very involved in in the marketing side of things and how our brand was going to be created and how we were going to be speaking about arepas, especially since we wanted to incorporate our mission and the convenience behind our product. We wanted it to be very present in the market and in the marketing. And so that's why we always wanted to be super involved in the whole creative process. But we were also very very lucky to encounter some smaller agencies in the Miami area that were willing to work with us, even though we had virtually no sales at the time. Um, and they had spe- special packages for smaller companies like ours. And they initially became very interested and excited about the idea. So it, it was a mix of both. Yeah, no, that that's super helpful. And you mentioned launching online. And I know now you're into some retail stores, including Publix. And at what point did you always plan for this to appear on, you know, at the store? And at what point did you decide, you know, what was the first kind of your first retailer experience? So our first retailer customers, we we literally knocked on the door and asked them, hey, this is our product. We would love for you to carry it. We will give you a box uh, just as uh, for free if you please let us be on your shelves 
for one month. And I, that's how we started acquiring our first retailers that um, started growing very fast just by us being on the street. And then little by little, we started to uh, be more um, curious about getting into big retailers. And that's when we started applying into Publix and many others. Yeah. So that what that process looked like is we, of course, after having this small distribution within independent stores in, in the South Florida area, we started exploring the idea of, of taking this to larger retailers and started working with some people uh, that had knowledge in the industry just through mutual contacts and just knocking on doors and asking for help. And that's when we first uh, submitted our our information to large retailers like Publix and, and Central Market. We were, I think, lucky in a sense um, because Publix picked up our product and decided to launch it in in a bunch of their stores. I, I could say lucky, but you know, I think we also were able to position our product as something that was innovative that could bring innovation to their stores and could enhance their category. Um, as well as being super prepared by the time, you know, someone opened their doors and in the way that we were presenting the product and how we were going to service the account after we got in, if we got in. Right. And how many like independent retailers would you say that you kind of started in and got placed in before you started to applying to, to some of the larger accounts? I would say roughly like 30, 30 or 40 independent uh, retailers. Okay. So you had you had some sell through data and a little bit of information about how it, how the product was performing before you were before you were filling out these other applications. Yes, exactly. And and that's exactly what we started doing with that data and the data that we were able to compile through our e-commerce website and our direct to consumer customers. Um, since the beginning, we've been, you know, and with my sister's knowledge and with data and data analytics, just trying to understand our customer better. Where is our customer located? And then we're going after those accounts where they're where they are located, basically. And in terms of innovation and what we're going to be doing next, we want to be servicing them. We want to bring something to the market that they're going to like. So that's what we've been doing since the beginning. Yeah. And with with Publix, you mentioned, you know, leaning on some industry contacts. Was it was it a friend that understood, uh, you know, brokerage or using your broker? You know, Publix, Publix is a is a is a big account. So I'm curious if you, you know, had to use some formal formal contacts or if it was, you know, leaning on some, hey, here's some advice on submitting and then, you know, submitting during the category review period. What did kind of some of that look like? Yeah, so pretty much um, using some personal contacts that helped us in terms of how could we create a presentation that was um, very put together and that had all the information that an account like Publix would be looking for. Um, and then, of course, submitting by the time that the, the category reviews were happening. But that's pretty much what that experience was like. So that's, that's why I... Uh, I always say that we were lucky in a sense, but we also prepared for a moment like that, um, you know, working on our marketing, polishing our, our brand positioning and, and who our customer is, et cetera. Yeah, I'm sure that both of your with Coco's analytics experience and Mafe, your your experience from like big CPG that that probably both you you could help you could understand, you know, different lenses for for how a buyer might be reviewing your information. Exactly. 
Um, that's exactly right. And and just trying to um, basically put yourselves in the other shoes. What would they be looking at? Um, what would be something that could be innovative within that category? Understanding the category as well is very helpful. Um, what's already in the market? What the pricing, um, wh- what's basically the pricing that you're seeing in that shelf or that freezer to place yourself in a place that's competitive enough? And also how you're going to serve as the account after you get in, which is so important. Nobody wants to, you know, have a brand being picked up by a retailer and then have the product just sit on the shelves. You want it to move. And um, as a brand, you need to be able to support that those sales. Yeah. Are, are you supporting with demos or, you know, since you have such a built out e-commerce and online or what ways are are you? are you guys specifically looking at, you know, supporting your retailer accounts? So a little bit of everything. Uh, We do do a lot of demos. Uh, We also have um, a a broker agency that helps us with merchandising, which is so important. Just making sure that the product is there, has the pricing and just understanding the velocity in the store. That is just so important. Uh, But we also do spend a lot of our marketing dollars on Facebook, just creating brand awareness, creating amazing content so that people can find out about the brand. I don't know. Am I missing something, Mafe? No, that's pretty much it. And and I, I think I would like to piggyback on your point about creating good content. I think that's something that we decided from the beginning that we needed to do is to spend enough dollars and 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 power brain power and how can we create you know value content for our social media um because there's so much competition nowadays from so many different brands and for people to want to follow you you have to add value um whether it is entertaining people or or creating some funny content or something that people are going to be able to engage or identify with so that's something where we spend dollars and and time (laughs) Yeah. Do do you both participate in creating content? I I mean, I know I've seen you in in pictures and and videos, but do you have a team member that helps with some of that? Or is it is it both of you behind the scenes? So we're both love to be very involved in in the content itself, not only as appearing on the videos and like acting on the videos, but also we love to participate the day that they're shooting content. We work with an agency. They obviously help us a lot with the editing and with the shooting, but we love to get involved. We love to give our two cents on everything that's getting created and um, just participating it. It's on it. It's just such an important part of building our brand. And that's why we spend a lot of time on it. And also to add to that, I think it's also important as a founder to stay involved um, in, on the marketing side of things as well as sales because brands, our brands are still babies. You know, they're not established by any means. There's tons of people that have not even heard or, or are aware of our brand. But I think it's important to always piggyback to what your vision is, making sure your brand values and your brand um, personality is being reflected in the content that's being created. Um, and that you, you don't deviate from that, which, you know, could happen if you delegate all, all that uh, work to agencies. So that's that's something that I would recommend. Yeah. And just to finish on that point, we love to be part of the social media and like to show ourselves there because we are women, we are Latinas, and we think that's a big part of our brand. Like 
ourselves, our story, and just being able to be there and connect with our followers. Uh, some of them know us, and I have been in places where they tell me, oh, you are the owner of Toasted. And that is just so exciting. And it's a way for us to connect with our customers. Yeah, I love that focus on authenticity. It's not just these aren't this isn't just a product in the freezer section that was made by people in a white corporate building. This is a product that is personal to you, that goes back to your family and your culture and your roots. And you're really trying to to build something authentic. And I think that all the work you do makes that that really come through. Thank you. And yeah, that's exactly what we're trying to accomplish, making sure people understand who's who's also behind all this, making sure people understand that this is not something like you said that's being created in a corporate office. Uh it comes straight from our from our culture and and it's just, you know, two girls that started doing this in their kitchen and delivering boxes like lunatics around Miami mm-hmm. and um, and that it's possible to to grow and start your own business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And going back to to your your Publix launch. So when you applied and, and submitted all the, the great information for category review, how long before you heard back of yes? And then also you know, what, what did the launch look like? Did you, you know, did you get one big purchase order that you were fulfilling toward? Was it kind of nerve wracking? Any, any stories? Or I'm curious about, you know, all kind of what went into that launch? Yeah. So from the time we, you know, presented the products until the time we, we finally got the acceptance, it was probably like, like a couple of months. And yes, it was very nerve wracking. The first order it's it's very very high um when it comes to volume so we had to sacrifice a lot of our you know holidays and just being um at the kitchen and making sure um we were you know complying with complying with the quality control and making sure the product was perfect by the time we were delivering everything and complying with all the distribution um uh norms etc and the launch uh, has been very, very exciting. Just watching us being able to industrialize a lot of the processes that we were doing just very manually before has been so, so amazing and, and even inspiring to us. And Publix is a great partner. Um, they've been just very ethical from the beginning and amazing to work with. And, you know, like I said before, pretty much what we've been focusing on since the launch is, is the data analytics, like under using all this data and the incremental data that we're getting now from the incremental volume to understand our customer and make sure that everything's tailored and uh, make sure that we're servicing our customer in the in the best way and are available to our customer uh, wherever they are. Right. And did you mentioned distribution? Did did getting into Publix require you to get set up with Kehi, or were you already able to use a distribution partner you had, or maybe you were with Kehi? I'm curious about the distribution part. Yeah, so we we were actually working with another distributor, a smaller distributor for independent accounts and some other retailers. But for Publix, we needed to be set up uh, with Kehi. So that was also, you know, a big project um, from the time that we got the acceptance until we were, you know, we had to deliver all the product to the stores, was working on the setup, um, you know, going through all the paperwork, um, reviewing the analytics, make make sure everything made sense for us, 
Um, so it, it's a process that can take some time um, and it's an arduous uh, project, but, you know, everything turned out great and, and we couldn't be more excited. And what does the, the split look like between the two of you day to day? You know, what are you each working on and, and how does it how do you work together on, you know, each day and and uh yeah, making sure you're accomplishing the goals. You each have your own roles, but at the at the end of the day, you're you're both leading and growing this company together. Yeah. So, I mean, from the beginning, we we decided that um, we each each of us was going to focus on the thing that we were more interested in. So, my sister was finance, and I was marketing. But obviously, there's a lot more that has to be accomplished, and those are the things that. We also try to divide. Um, I love working on innovation and analytics on the marketing side. Um, and my sister handles a lot of accounting. I, I can take it from the, from there. So financial planning, supply chain, um, logistics, um, operations, etc. So that's our day to day. But it it sounds simple, but it, it's so much um, that we take on. We're, we're still a very 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 small team of only three people. So um, we try to accomplish as much as we can and and try to leverage e- each other's strengths wh- wherever we can. Yeah, I'm I'm curious. About- also, because we're doing a first hire series on the Startup CPG podcast, I'm curious about your third person. Like, who was kind of your your first first hire? So we decided to hire someone to help us with just seeing what was happening in the streets and at the store level. Um, just because, like I said, we we're a very small team. You can't imagine how much work is derived from from leading our business from our finance and, and, and marketing side. And sometimes we didn't have the time to be in the in the streets and at the store level watching uh, what our competitors look like, what our product looks like at the, at the stores, just kind of merchandising, you could say, uh, making sure the pricing was right whenever we were running promotions, making sure those prices were also reflected, which is something that's so important. And also understanding a little bit more about about the demographics of each store because that's not something that you can get from a data set. It's something that it's also it takes a little bit of just observing um, each store um, in in person, right? And this person who's amazing also helps us with uh, just quality control at the production center. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing how, yeah, you can get a spreadsheet of all the stores that a retailer has and, it, you know, maybe it'll say like, these are the A doors or whatever, but the the variety within even stores that are a mile from each other can be so huge. And if you don't go in in person or have someone go in in person to see what's really happening, it can be super hard to to make any adjustments to your strategy or really know what's going on. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So do you do you have a, a local manufacturing facility that you work with regularly? Or you had mentioned, you know, making things at home and then commercial kitchen and, you know, how does it how does it work? now to to have the the product made to to all the right qualifications for you yeah so we went from home to a commercial kitchen and as we started growing we decided um the best move for us was to look for a co-packer not only because we um, needed to continue growing in volume but also they they were experts on just managing the whole production and quality control and taking, having all the permits, having all the 
uh, everything that it's required to get into a big retailer. And also it was going to give us much more time to focus on the marketing, the sales and the finance, which was uh, very difficult to manage at the beginning, the production plus all the other parts of the business. So right now we work with an amazing co-packer. He's here in Miami, Florida as well. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, as someone that has uh, has built out a self-manufacturing facility, I do not think it is the right choice for most brands because the, it takes up so much of your time. And if you can, there are really great co-packer partners out there. You just have to find them and build that relationship and help them understand your brand so that they can bring it to life. Was it hard to find that that right fit? Did you have to interview lots of different places or was it were you able to find th- someone through a connection? It was actually very hard, not only because our product was very different from everything that was out there in the market, um, but also because it, it was our baby and just finding someone that was as committed as we are in getting that right quality was very hard. And this person allowed us to come for the weekends and to be there for the whole day just to get to the point where we felt comfortable. That was very important to us. And even today, he welcomes us anytime to the factory to see how the things are doing. Um, just we've been able to work on that relationship of trust, which is so important. And yeah, that's why we're so happy with this with this partner. And also adding to that, I think, you know, with, with co-packers, um, it's it's a little bit hard engaging in a, in a partnership and in a relationship if you're not bringing huge amounts of volume from the get-go. And this was a person that was willing to work with us and giving basically uh, giving us basically the opportunity to work in their facilities and their downtime over the weekends or, or at night to be able to work on our recipe and get to something that we were comfortable with. And also we're was as excited as we are about about this product and, and about this idea. So that was not easy to find. And, and we're super grateful about having find him. Yeah, that's amazing. I'm so glad you're able to find a good partner. That is that's so important. And yeah, as you as you mentioned, just also helps with the setup with the big retailer when they have they have lots of quality control requirements, rightfully so. And so does like Kehi. And so having a facility that you work with that has all of that taken care of is is a huge, huge win. I'm also wondering what's what's coming up next. Are you are you focusing more on e-commerce? Are you focusing on growing into more retailers? Do you want to launch more products? What are you thinking about for the next year for Toasted? So a little bit of everything. We are obviously looking to expand into more retailers, trying to get closer to our customers, but also we are very excited about two new products that we Hopefully, we will launch by the end of the summer. We can't say much about them yet, but what we can say is that to our low-carb and high-protein customers, they should stay tuned. Awesome. I'm excited. That's that's great. Is it best to for updates? Should people follow you on Instagram and your website? Are those the best places to stay tuned for, for news? Yes, absolutely. They can follow us on Instagram. Our Instagram is 
just toast it. So literally J-U-S-T-T-O-A-S-T-I-T. And that's the same for Facebook and for all of the other social media channels. Perfect. That's great. Is there anything else that you wanted to, to share about Toasted or your story or anything else with our with our audience? I I would just like to add um I know that a lot of your audience is is other fellow entrepreneurs that something that has really worked for us is is working on our mindset and having uh, a support group or, or support support people around you um just to work on on your mindset and positivity because having a business uh can be really stressful and and you go through so many ups and downs that you need that support system there for whenever you are having doubts or being fearful or whatever it is, um, to just keep going forward and, and brushing yourself up and, and keep moving forward. So that's just something that I would like to share with other people and fellow entrepreneurs. That's great, Mafe. Thank you. Yeah, I was I was just going to ask if you had any any tips for your fellow founders. So that's that's really great. And how about you, Coco? Do you have any tips for fellow startup CPGers? Um, so I would say if you're just getting started, um, I, I think this is very cliche and you probably heard it a lot, but just start with your minimum viable product. Don't focus on being perfect from the beginning because you're not going to be perfect. Just don't listen to people that are telling you this could be better. Just keep going. Try to get your customers and try to understand what they're looking for. And you're going to get so much information from them that it's going to help you keep going forward and keep getting to the best version of your product. And I think being able to adapt quickly and to get that information back from your customers is the most important part. Yeah, that's 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 great. That's super important. And yeah, a lot of times, I mean, we may have heard advice before, but uh, that doesn't mean that it didn't go in one ear out the other or that we have forgotten. And so I think it's so important to keep remembering the like core fundamentals. And you both brought up really important, really important tips. Well, this has been wonderful. It was so great to talk with both of you and hear more about the Toasted story. And I know everyone in our community is cheering you on and wishing you every success. I am definitely going to be following along and trying to figure out all the new different combinations I can do at home uh, with my Toasted product. So yeah, thank you so much for being on the show and can't wait to keep following along. Thank you, Jesse. Thank you so much for inviting us. You're, you're so sweet and we hope that you also have continued success. Thanks for joining us. This Startup CPG podcast is executive produced by me, Jesse Freitag. Theme music is by The Super Fantastics. We'd love to have you join our community of founders and experts. Get the invite at startupcpg.com. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening right now. It's the easiest way to help us grow our community. See you next time. Time.